Hello, welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, podcast number 16. With me tonight, as always, is Mac. I'm here. And also we have the elusive Jennifer. Hello. I think we finally resolved our technical difficulties. Yay. Yay. So we've got Jennifer back with us. <laughs> except for that except for that technical difficulty. I don't know if that one's going anywhere, though. That sounded yep. like static to me. Is that what it sounded like? Static? <laughs> uh, so how are you guys doing tonight? We're okay. Long weekend. You're mm-hmm. speaking for everybody now? I am. Okay. I feel like I've had a full day. She already spoke for you. She said you were yeah. fine. Well, I'm going to speak for her now. Ah. I took my took my wife out to Jim and Nick's barbecue today and mm-hmm. had a very nice meal. Oh, the one that we went to... Um... Yep, the day of the yeah. the day of the outdoor shoot. That was excellent. It was it was uh, very good. I had the pulled pork this time, like you did last time. Ah, uh, two sides. I'm still flying off of it. Ah, uh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, you know, it looks like I've been talking to Ian. It looks like we are going to be at Mile High Con at this point, and it looks like we it'll be it's going to be a late thing. You know, it'd be like uh, midnight before we get to take the stage, but uh, we are going to get a get a shot on stage. So I think uh, oh. I'm not sure how much time we're going to have. You know, unfortunately, Ian's not here to talk about that, but um, we we will uh, definitely talk about that more um, as it as it comes up. And um, I have some ideas of what we what I'd like to do for that show, and so we'll be putting that together. So uh, that should be fun to. Do a live show. <laughs> our uh, our last uh, live performance went well up at when we did the podcast panel, so I think we're ready. Okay, so um, we're going to start off with uh, what you're doing is important, and this is uh, from the uh, Skeptics blog, and uh, they were talking about um, basically, you know, skeptics spend a lot of time telling other people that they're incorrect or they're thinking about something wrong, and um, what else? That their health is in jeopardy, and you know what they're what they're doing might not be based in evidence, and so we're, we we spent. Unicorns a, aren't real. Unicorns aren't real, except for I did see a picture of one today. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, all right. <laughs> hey, I shot one bow hunting, but I was only doing catch and release bow hunting. So. Right. How does that work? You shoot them with blunts. You get a lot of deer wandering around going, "Ow." All right, so not really. And the other thing, you know, as skeptics, we 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 particularly by believers, we get told that we're closed-minded and that you know that we're that would and, be believers with a capital B, right? Right, and yeah, and that we're and and that we're just cynics. And uh, interesting, you know, I, I'll I'll talk about this later. I've been watching the stuff from Dragon, and uh, um, there was some people some interesting things about you know, actually how skepticism is quite boring till you look at you know actually science-based thinking. And that's what's actually really interesting when you start talking about science. But skepticism all in of itself, it can be quite boring. So that was kind of interesting. So this article basically is talking about how what skeptics are doing is important. And that, you know, that, that what we're contributing um, by, you know, by hopefully raising awareness is what I would hope. What would you guys get out of this article? Um, first of all, she really knows what she's about. Um, she knows what skepticism is all about. She knows that it's not about... Not about, you know, downing everything. It's about stopping and asking the question that says, okay, what's really, what's really behind this? What are you really saying? Right. It's about cutting to the center of the argument. It's about, uh, it's about insight into when you see a huge, long obfuscation of something, you got to ask yourself, what are they really saying in this? Right, and and we spend a lot of time doing that. I mean, and we don't always catch it. You know, when we've been caught before, not not being quite critical enough of articles. 
But that's one of the things that would that we want to do is you know, as, as we want to apply our toolkit and and look for the for the for the right questions to ask and, and actually be looking for you know what things aren't based in science that don't have evidence to back them up and it's important when they don't for us to say so and sometimes that can be difficult and so this was just a a, a nice little article saying that 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 kind of stuff is important it is important to continue doing this stuff so that you know that not everybody's going to homeopathy and uh you know and, and that people are aware that a chiropractic neck adjustment can cause a stroke so it was good stuff it was. I really particularly liked the letter at the end where the guy was talking about if he had gone to um, a midwife or a or some sort of, uh, what did he say here? If he'd gone to a naturopath instead of a hospital, his family would be dead. Right. Because the doctor made the move of doing a battery of tests just to make sure everything was all right and found out that, no, it really wasn't, and that his wife had a very severe form of preeclampsia. Well, and this is going to become more important. What what you what we're just talking about right here later on, because we have an article that uh, that we that we're going to address about X, and so and so we'll come back around to what you just talked. This week, of course, Dragon Con is going on, and uh, I've been watching. They, they've been putting a lot of the uh, Dragon Con in on uh, on UStream. So I've been watching uh, um, the every morning. It seems like I caught the guy from uh, the um, the American. Secular Coalition, Secular Coalition of America, something like that. Yeah, and actually, I'll put the, I'll put their, um, uh, in the show notes, I'll put a link to their website. And he, what a, what a great speaker, and uh, really, and talking about the founding fathers, and you know, and he really went through, you know, um, well, he he talked a little bit about Washington, talked about Jefferson, but um, James uh, Madison was the guy he really liked. And uh, and talking about how you know the that we have a secular document that and that our constitution was was founded on secular and of course you know, the, the quote from um, um, from John Adams says that the United States was no way set up on Christians or the Christian religion he says on the Christian so we're not a Christian John Adams makes that very clear but yet we have a lot of Christians everybody oh, coming out Jefferson made it clear too Jefferson made it clear too Jefferson's yeah. a personal favorite. you mean all my I, Facebook friends are wrong yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> If they're telling you that this country was founded on Christian principles, they are wrong. Our founding fathers created a secular document. We only had um, two things in there that were that that came out of the Bible: um, that slavery was legal, and that uh, yep. women should know their place. Those two things came out of the Bible and were unfortunately in our Constitution, but have been amended. Yes, they have. Isn't that redundant to say all my Facebook friends are wrong? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I had to unfriend her. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Yeah, hey, no problem. I'm changing our marital status too. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we'll see how that works. No, if out you later really, tonight. Yeah. If you want to be really cruel, you have to do that while you're sitting across from the table or from on your 3G phone. That's right. Ooh, I think I felt her kick me. I hate those commercials. I think that is just the most, just the most, just horrid. Those two commercials from AT and T about. Isn't it Verizon? Oh, is, are they Verizon? Whatever they are. I thought it was really funny because it was just so wrong. She just looked so happy to be telling him that, oh, don't worry. It didn't cost me any money. Okay. It's it's amusing, but it's amusing because it is so utterly. Both commercials are. so, And sometimes amusing is cruel in this case. Or cruel is amusing, as the case may be. I'm going to shut up. Now. All right. Anyway, I'm going to shut up till I make sense. Anyway, so what I was, um, to go back to the Dragon Con stuff, um, they, he's asking everybody to go and sign up for their action alerts. And I think it's secular.org. 
Um, yes, it is. I yes. have it open. Aha, good. Secular.org and sign up for the action alerts and uh, and uh, you know help them out. It, he he did this really cool thing where he went through. And he he's like, okay, we're gonna pretend like uh, this person is running for president. We're gonna set that. We're gonna set this person down, and and we're gonna go through some. We're gonna we're gonna Google them, and then we're going to um, go through some of the stuff that we found out about them online. And he goes through and he and he reads all these things that this this person said, and he goes through them, you know, one by one. Um, and uh, they're not flattering for a Christian. And he says, now, if this person was running today, we would have we would say to this person, mm, I'm sorry, but uh, you know what? Why don't you just collect your check on the way out and uh, have a nice day? And every single one of the quotes was from uh, was from Jefferson. <laughs> Jefferson could not get elected president today. Neither could John Adams. Neither could Washington. Neither. Could, I mean, you, you probably go through the list. And uh, they they you they wouldn't be able to be president today because of what their opinions of Christian and religion were. Yeah. So so go sign up for the action alerts. Let let's have a secular, more compassionate government. Yeah. All right. You now speaking of uh, of government, let's talk about oil spills. Let's talk about oil spills. So we had the big oil spill in the Gulf, which we really didn't talk much about. It was kind of, you know, I mean. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was overload. But this was cool. And, of course, this is everywhere, and everybody's talking about it. I mean, this is really neat that they found a new organism that is eating the oil. And the and so this organism probably always lives in the Gulf because a certain amount of oil is um, continually coming out of the ground. And being, um, and so this organism has adapted already to live on the oil. But because of the abundance of oil that happens to be in the Gulf at this time, this particular organism is flourished. And so the, the they gave some numbers in here about how much oil it's um, already. So it's well, it's so, potentially something that could be cultivated for other situations like this. Right. Yeah. But here's my th- I, I have some questions about this. Everybody's talking about what a good thing this. But this thing is eating oil. So what's the byproduct? What is it putting back into the water or into the atmosphere? What's I was wondering really about that question. too I, when I, I read no, this. Nobody has addressed what the byproduct. And then the other thing is what what are the repercussions of this organism taking over like that? What is being what, – what is not getting fed? What what I mean what I mean maybe it may be nothing but I I have some questions about you know is this organism really the the, the panacea that everybody's making out to be there everybody's talking about how good this is you know that the, the you know oh well the oil spill is not going to be as bad as we thought but except for the fact that this thing is eating oil and turning it into methane which is getting into the atmosphere which is creating more global warming I I don't know what eats this organism right what does eat this organism there's so what else is going to start thriving that, that's an excellent well, question what if we too. find out that it eats oil and its byproduct is actually gasoline well then we'll be collecting it because that is a much more efficient way to make gasoline than we're, we're doing now <laughs> except for it's you but know from what you said the, the organism's always been there right right now it's just more prevalent because this is an opportunity for it to really kind of explode I just think that there's probably another side of this that's being glossed over. That what what does this organism do? It's great that it eats the oil. At least I think it's great. Maybe it's not. Maybe having the oil there would be less of a problem than this microbe eating it. If the if what this micro- microbe does is going to be more damaging than the oil in and of itself. And and it may not be that. But I haven't heard the question asked, and it's the first thing I thought about when I read this. What is the what is the byproduct of this particular organism? What's, what's yeah. it putting back out? 
It's getting all the fish drunk. Maybe. Maybe we'll just have happier fish, and they'll live longer <laughs> because they're getting their two drinks a day. There you go. It's an interesting segue. Ready to segue over yet? Should we segue to that? I think it, well, should we go? well. Let, let's go right to I that. I was just thinking of microbial byproducts, you know, fermentation and stuff. Well, we, we might as well talk about having your two drinks a day then. Okay. So this was an interesting article um, that came out here recently. And, I mean, it, it certainly sounds good and, it, you know, it's a feel-good article it, talking about um, people who drink. And and they they looked at three populations. And actually, what they did was kind of kind of funky, but we'll get to that. They looked at. Well, people's... first you should say where you found this article. Oh, the, oh, okay. This is from. Well, this one it's all over the place. The I yep. the particular source that I'm pointing back to is ABC News. The people who did the research were the University of Texas in Austin. Okay. So these researchers looked for middle-aged people, and and they followed them into their into old age. It's of course, subject, but. And they had three populations. They had people who didn't drink. They had moderate drinkers, which they called one to three drinks a day, and then heavy drinkers, which I assume would be four and above. Um, they don't. They're not overly specific, and I haven't gone and read the actual. Um, and what they found was that after 20 years, that 70% um, of the non-drinkers um, were dead, 60% of the heavy drinker dead, and only 41% of the moderate drinkers. So, so the people who lived the longest were the one to three drinks. This is not really new. No. Um, this, is, this has been something that doctors have been talking about for uh, easily, easily 10 years at least. Um, my parents were told a couple of glasses of wine a day will help you live a more relaxed and longer life. Okay, but at, wasn't at it— At least 10 years ago. Wasn't it red wine, though, that would they, it was always red wine's good for the heart? It was red, red wine, good. but they were told beer is good for you also. Brian, I'll, I'll, I'll pause for your cheering. Okay, thank you. Yay! It's, it's not new, though, is what I'm saying. It's, okay. it's, it's an interesting confirmation of things that have been said for a long time, but it's not really that new. So you really think this is just confirmational? I do. I honestly think it's probably confirmation of other things. It's, it's probably a good story that correlates some advice that's been given out for a long time. Okay, here's the part of the study I don't like that I think is a flaw. Okay. Is that their 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 seventy percent people were were former drinkers? They weren't drinking now, and, and they weren't drinking when they did the study. Is my understanding? At least, I hopefully that that's what they were supposed to be. But they never included people have never been drinking, and that's Which unfortunate. Is, it, it, that is a definite flaw in the study because if you've got people who are former drinkers, there's a pretty good chance that a large number of those people who are former drinkers were former heavy drinkers, and that's one of and the things are they no say longer about drinking the because they are, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous or you know, sworn off drinking for whatever reason. And so you may have people. This seventy percent are people who've got body damage in the first place. So yeah, there's definitely a flaw in the study based upon that. Yeah, and the, so the other thing. So I... what this tells us is that we should all be volunteering for more studies to, you know, increase the pool of people that they're studying. There we go. Well, and that's the other thing is I don't know how big the study was. And the other thing, I, they, they implied, but they didn't say it directly. I got out of the study that um, – sorry about that. Um, no, nothing to be apologized. <laughs> what I got out of the, – the other thing I got out of this that, is that a lot of these non-drinkers um, were heavy smokers. And of course, we're former alcohol. So those things, um, I, I think, are were were the study. I would like to see it compared to 
people who have never been drunk and see where we stand at that point. That's the only way to really know if if what they're, they're seeing here. I mean, maybe the moderate drinkers and people who don't drink at all would be the same. The other thing that the study said that was interesting is that maybe the people who are moderate drinkers are, are have better social and are, are more likely to have a better um, support group. It's possible. Here is here is something that is a, at least as far as I know, this is a pretty good solid piece of fact. Um, my wife is type one diabetic, and sometimes there are there is nothing she can do to her blood sugar no matter no matter what she does with insulin. Okay. In times like that, taking a drink will temporarily lower her blood sugar because it stops the liver from producing sugar for a brief period of time for a couple of hours, and it basically gives her a chance to kind of catch up with what her body is doing. So in cases like there are cases where my wife taking a drink can can definitely improve both her quality of life and can, you know, help preserve her health. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, I And I always worry about this stuff when it comes out that it's going to be taken as gospel, and I don't think it should be. I think that, that there's some definite concerns here, and uh, and they say, you know, um, that if you've never been a drinker, um, don't take up drinking. Maybe you should talk to yourself. They, they did, you know, <laughs> they, it was there, but— yeah. So I, I don't know. I, these studies worry me because I think in a way it's, you know, a, I don't know. It gives the check mark to go ahead and drink. Go ahead, drink. <laughs> yeah, that's just wrong. Lemmings. <laughs> I don't think one should drink lemmings. <laughs> but they're so furry. <laughs> well, you know what? If life gives I you also a- don't think one should drink water where lemmings have been dying either. So, <laughs> If life gives you lemmings, make lemming- lemmingade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wait, Mac, how did you possibly get that thought into his head? <laughs> oh, I don't know, but I hope I can do it again. <laughs> uh, do I get the Groner Award this week? You do. <laughs> All right. Well, drinking and playing with drones. Do you think that's a good idea, Mac? I think that's an excellent idea. You do? I do. Well, tell me about it. Oh. <laughs> let's, see, let's see. At Robot Show... Future of Warfare is on display. And this is uh, AOL News. You got this? Yeah, it was from AOL News. All right. And I just, I happened to come across this and I thought, ooh, robot hummingbird. And I, I was I was hooked right there. <laughs> well, it sure is shiny. It is. That's what I was going to say. It's shiny. It's so pretty. <laughs> it is. But essentially, it's this is all about, this is all about the future of warfare. What people are saying is going to be the future. And they're talking about tiny spy drones a spy drone that's essentially indistinguishable from a hummingbird unless you're really, really looking at a thing. Wow. And, you know, if you look at the picture, you can see the tiny camera mounted in the throat, the wing design, and at the speed this is going to be moving, you wouldn't be able to see it. Um, this is prototype work? Or is it just a, it didn't just, say. It's just a thought process? <laughs> it doesn't say for certain, but I don't think it's far off from working. I mean, they've got kids' toys that can fly this way. You can buy them at Walmart. They're, they're like dragonfly or ro- remote-controlled bird models that, can, that are not much larger than this, and you can bet, get them for 100 bucks. Okay. Um, they've got a – they're talking about a, a drone that can, fly, that can fly for up for five days straight. MPLE pronounced maple. It's from Lockheed Martin. And it's a multi-purpose drone that could be used to track track pirates and look out for roadside roadside bombs, among other things. And of course, we've got the standard bomb disposal robots. I see that. Yeah. 
you know, those are just getting better and better each time around. Sure. No corpse eating robots on display this time, <laughs> but you know, we still hold out hope for that. Uh, that was good stuff. That was very good stuff. But I just thought this was kind of a cool article, definitely. Huh? Um, I, I guess I'd have to say that the more robots they're able to put into combat, both to get intelligence and to do tasks that are endangering human lives, the more soldiers come back. All right. What are you going to power it with? The soldiers that come back? Usually they drink Powerade and stuff. Oh, no. I was thinking, what are you going to you know, the robot? Well, what would you power them? Lightning. You would power them with lightning. I, I see. I'm in favor of that. Oh, right. Are you? I am. What, what university is? University of... Campinas. Campinas in Brazil. They think that they have figured out how, um, how basically how the electric charge builds up in the atmosphere to create lightning. And they're actually thinking that it's getting held in um, vaporized water molecules, okay. which, of course, completely goes against what... what that water does not actually hold a charge. Right, yeah, because... It's neutral. Yeah, water is supposed to be neutral, but they're saying that it's the water that's holding the charge, which I thought was quite interesting. So the article basically talks about um, how they were... Basically how they figured out that they were able to do this. They can recreate it, and they think that they understand why the lightning is building up. And But by doing this, they think that they can actually harness this um, electricity um, you know, and use it to protect buildings, stuff like that, because they'll just absorb all the electricity out of the, out of the, uh, out of the water vapor so that no charge can build up so they will get light. From what I'm looking at here, it doesn't look like the water itself is necessarily the factor, but it's a set of conditions. It's the silica dust in the air right? and the water vapor that make the silica dust more more chargeable. I mean, essentially, we're talking about conditions that might exist in a battery. Right, but if this is true, and there's a lot of debate about whether it is, it, it defies the neutral water. <laughs> you make it sound like it's... <laughs> you make it sound political. Uh, it's possible that It's water... electro-neutral. Listen, if it's, I'm going to it's elect... It's possible water just has decided to take a different stance toward electricity in other countries. Listen, I think <laughs> that this should be banned. We must ban dihydrogen monoxide because it's killing Absolutely. people. Hey, I'm now a dihydrogen monoxide drinker, so... <laughs> Really? I've got a nice port wine. But that doesn't stop me from fear-mongering about it. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, it, it, it goes against what we what we thought was possible because, you know, with water molecules. Yeah. Which is, you know, cool if we find out that in, in you know, in a vaporized state, this, that, you know, water has different properties. That, you know, that's cool. So they're calling it, um, what is this? Hydroelectricity. Hydroelectricity? Yep, with a G. With hygro. a G, hydro. So water is electronically elect, electron neutral. Electro neutral. Electron meaning that it's it doesn't hold a charge, it doesn't reject a charge, it doesn't do anything except possibly conduct electricity. There you go. So cry it here now for a future with no thunderstorms. <sighs> yeah, I think that I think that the repercussions of that would not be great. I, I think in certain areas maybe you might might want to limit the like electrical charge, but well, no. you know, if we can't get thunderstorms natural, then maybe we can get thunderstorms from God because apparently God isn't needed for creation. Well, he, yeah, so he must be good for something, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful! You know, that's better than the segue I was going with. Much better. <laughs> Yes, so God can create... Top of my head, folks. Yeah. All improv. <laughs> yeah, so Stephen Hawking has come out 
and he has a new book coming out, The Grand Design. And in this book, he implies that there is no need for a creator. Now, this is interesting because, you know, Stephen Hawking has kind of waffled on that past. Like, you know, he, he's never really wanted to say your way, and he's just kind of let it hang out there. But I he's now making a stand saying, listen, it isn't necessary. We can explain. So we'll have to see, you know, of course, when his book comes. Yeah. I find it interesting that he does reference the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, he does. Um, there, There's three works referenced, three fiction, and I mean fictional works, as in fiction within the fiction. But there's three works referenced in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, Where God Went Wrong, More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and Who is This God Person Anyway? philosophical blockbusters in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, so he's saying that, you know, that the answer won't simply be 42. Right. So, yeah, so he, he makes a nod there to Douglas Adams. So I'll be, I, I, I'll be reading it when it comes out, I'm sure. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you could make an argument that says that the universe is set up to create itself. Or you could make an argument to say that some all-powerful beings set up the conditions for the universe in the first place. But you can't really say for certain except to say that the universe is set up in such a way that things happen in a certain order. There's no, there are laws to it and there is, it's not just chaos. It's not just... Well, I think that one of the things it says in here is that it could come out of that. You know, that a lot of people he, he's making the argument that it, he's it making the argument that it could come out of chaos, but he's saying that it could come out of chaos because of the laws that are, exist. Right. Okay. What I'm saying is, is are these laws immutable and natural, or are these laws set up by something in the first place? Now, once and again, you could, you could argue either way. Right. He's not saying that there is no God. He's just saying that it's not necessary to invoke him. That the explanation's there. So. So he's still not saying that there is no God, but he's making the point that it's not necessary for there to be a God for us. To... So, so I mean, in the end, we, we still don't know. If Stephen Hawking isn't going to come out and say there is no God, what are the rest to do? I'll say it for him. There is no God. Oh, thanks. <laughs> if Stephen Hawking is going to come out and say there is no God, then I guess the rest of us, all we can do is really just remake math curriculum. <laughs> I did not watch this because it's a video, and I abstain from videos when possible. Okay, and it was it was really it was really very interesting. Essentially, he was talking about how he how he took standard standard math math teaching out of the math teaching, and he made the students actually solve problems. He made them solve real world problems, not word problems, but he made them um, he essentially made them interested in math well okay and what he did is he for number one he outlined what the problems with with the way that we teach math are and he he goes through these six criteria and he and i, I couldn't for the life remember what they are but basically you know he goes through these things and and one of the things he talks about is that people are so scared of word problems and he says, but everywhere you look around us are these word problems and this is the, but the other problem with the way that we do word problems is that we show somebody a formula and then we give them a word problem and that they have to pick out these key things to plug them into the formula. He says the problem with is in life, we don't have – it isn't that simple and we don't always have all the information. He says wouldn't it be nice if we could look around and somebody would give us all of the information we need to do the equation and just and just plug it in and, and you know we know which equation to, to plug that into? He says we don't right. have that. So he what he does is he takes he, he takes the um, the math textbook, which he says are, you know, are, are failing our, our teachers and students. And he'll look for something like he had a bucket, and it was kind of a, I think it was an octagon. Right. And then he add, and then the, so basically, what the students have to tell him is 
how long it's going to fill the bucket. But he doesn't, he, he actually takes him out and they have the bucket and they actually take the time to fill it. And of course, the students are all going, oh my, how long is it going to take? It's taking forever. But and he, he made them answer how long it would take exactly. by making them fill the bucket. Exactly, by making them fill the bucket. And he says that he, what he saw by doing this was an increase in um, in the students' uh, willingness to have a conversation. That later on, in the in as they were going through that, that students that normally wouldn't say anything because they just figure somebody else will know the equation. I'll just, I'll just plug it in. That now they're willing to have that conversation because of the basically because of the real life application that he's shown them for this particular problem. And so by the end of the year, kids that normally wouldn't have said anything will at least have a are willing to have a three minute conversation about a particular problem so it's so it's the way that he gets them involved that really made what he did work so i i really enjoyed the video and jenna you should should uh um, yeah this is your meat and potatoes yeah, there, you, Jen. You, should, you should think about oh, that definitely but um another thing about that was i like the fact that he was talking about he made them in some cases he basically made them have to find out what the formula for it would be right he in order give to actually discover the answer they had to find out how to how to create the formula not have the formula handed to them well i've had this conversation with people before about um being okay with making a mistake when you're doing things for real you're going to make mistakes but you just keep going whereas in classroom situations people are less likely to do things that they think are going to be wrong because they don't want to make a mistake and right. so getting them up and moving and having a different approach to it gets you out of that I don't want to make a mistake sort of mindset. You know, people forget that sometimes when you're when you're experimenting and you're doing something that you may learn more by doing a failed experiment than, a mis- than an experiment that works out the way you expected. And this is, a, you know, it comes back to a problem with the way that we fund science. Is that, you know, we want to fund the, the science that's gonna, that is the most likely to give us the results that we're looking for. And this may not be a good way to, to approach funding projects. That we should look for a project that is the most likely to give us the most information as opposed to the best outcome. Because we might not get what we expect to out of a certain project. But in the end, we may have a lot more information, a lot more data that we can use to apply to other products that will yield something that we can use or that, you know, gives us what we want. We have a huge disconnect with, with the way that we fund science in this country. There That's is because a... it's all based on money. We just need to move to the Star Trek utopia where everybody is fed and there is no money. <laughs> there is a good there is a good term that can be applied to science to funding that looks for science that gives the answers that they're looking for. And that word is that that term is confirmation bias. Sure. Well, there you go. There, there's another problem right there. Is that we only fund the stuff that we think is going to show us the answers that we want in the first place. I got to admit, I I hate word problems as much as the next person. I mean, I I never could get the one where if a train leaves <laughs> New York heading east at. Uh, 10 o'clock and uh, another train leaves Los Angeles heading west at nine o'clock which one will get which one will get wet first I don't know but <laughs> never figured that one out I, I'm not sure but you can order cocktails an hour after leaving on both trains <laughs> which one locates the Titanic That's what I <laughs> which would look exactly if two trains are heading towards each other at approximately 50 miles per hour if one train leaves at six one leaves at seven at what point Will I be wearing a red shirt on Thursday? Red's not really your color. Oh, it's okay. X plus Y <laughs> divided by. It'll be on Thursday, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. 18th century prosthetic arm. This was just cool. Oh, no, the 18th era prosthetic arm. Okay. It's just so pretty. It is pretty. You know, I like stuff that can be just defined as steampunk, which is like like uh, Victorian era science fiction. You know, H.G. Wells. This is real, and it's more steampunk than steampunk. This is just so cool. I This is... It's made out of steel and brass, and essentially it almost mimics the skeletal the skeletal interior of the arm, but it's got four bendable fingers, it's got a bendable thumb, it's, it's hinged in all the places that the human arm should be hinged. And it's just, well, you know, and I love human innovation. Okay, it, would this work? Would it be possible for this actually to work? Well, it says there's a spring it works, it, to It works as well as a, as a modern prosthetic does. Would it work, you know, as, as a replacement for an arm and do everything an arm would do? No. But neither do modern prosthetics. Well, how did they get it to work? How did they actually get it to, to you know, so the person? I think it, it was. I think it was more of a. They could put it in positions. You know, it's essentially it's hinged like an arm would be, and they could move it into different positions. So you stick a cup in the hand, hold it there, and then just kind of walk around with this. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, sounds like it. Sounds great. Yeah. I'm curious as to what. Uh, you know, who would have, society-wise, who would have been able to afford something like this? And you'd have to admit that this would probably be a high-ranking officer. Well, but, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. a darn cool piece of machinery. Sure. It's interesting. I just want more information. I want a story to go with it. It was the Dread Pirate Roberts on a dark and stormy night. Could have been somebody in a Satanist church. <laughs> okay, well, I hope they had a permit. <laughs> Yeah, this was interesting. Um, the, so, uh, so a Satan church. The, what is it, the fourth majestic? Is that right? Let's see, majestic for, church of the four majesties. Oh, four majesties. Okay, the church of the four majesties have applied for a permit to have a seance. No, not a seance. I'm sorry, an exorcism to to remove God. A ritual exorcism of God. <laughs> this was. Well, yeah. Don't you want to get rid of him? Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm minded actually of uh, I'm minded of a legal case that I read about years ago, and I don't remember exactly where this took place. But a woman left her entire estate to God, and the 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 sheriff's deputy who was basically charged with carrying this out had to report that after a long search and due diligence, God could not be located in the county. <laughs> Well, okay, so th- so they're having this um this you know this ritual, and they've invited the public, and they're selling tickets, and so the people can go. And actually, it looks like I didn't watch the videos, but it looks like the videos are online. But these Satanists are not really pledging themselves to Satan. Really, they're atheists, and they're 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 looking to know God before themselves, essentially. That you know, so so you look, so they're looking internally for God as opposed to external is is really what it um, came down to, and which really challenges my idea of what Satanism is about because this isn't what I thought at all. Well, it kind of challenges, I think, Satanists' idea of what Satanism is about well, too. But it, it might be. I don't know that for sure. Um, it's 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 interesting because they're trying to put a public face on something that is essentially a a secret a secret path. I wonder how other Satanists feel about this Satanist church. Well, I, I, I would wonder myself, because it isn't, like I say, it, it isn't what 
I, I would call Satanists. I can hear them now. The Satanists who won't talk to the other Satanists. <laughs> We're getting it right. You're getting it wrong. Right, right. They're, we they're, have the they're right. They're getting calls from other Satanists going, damn you people, damn you to heaven. <laughs> but they say in here that these people don't believe in a God. So if they don't believe in a God, I mean, you really can't, you have to infer that they don't actually believe in a Satan. Exactly. It does seem to follow. So, I mean, so for me, that was actually the more interesting part of the article. I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting that a bunch of people in Oklahoma are getting their panties in a bunch about a Satanist having, you know, using the, the civic theater. But, the, you know, the, the local um, the um, the local government, basically, they said, well, we were surprised to see, you know, uh, you know, Satanists on, on, on the dock to use the space. But, I mean, it's fair use. And, uh, you know, so they, they you know, they, they gave them the permit. Now, they said that, you know, and they'll be watching for anybody, you know, causing trouble. But as long as they don't cause any trouble, they can use the space. It was, it was you know, what, what they decided, which kind of surprised me for Oklahoma. But, okay. I think they made the right choice by letting them go ahead and do it. Well, Not I think that we're biased I against mean, people in Oklahoma. It's well, it's well. Aren't they? They're the ones that that are you know want want creationism in the schools. They're one of them, right? Isn't 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 it Oklahoma that has been really pushing that hard? I think so. Right. So their school board, you know, certainly would have an issue with this. <laughs> Probably as much because they're atheists as much the as much as much for the fact that they're calling themselves Satanists. Arose by any other name. It's it's a strange and interesting situation, and while I don't I don't try to claim to be an expert on Satanism, I am not. But there's some of what I what I believe I know. There's some of that in what they're stating. But I, I'm I'm going to quiet myself at this point because we probably need to look more into this and what that and what. Satanism is tradition about. If, if I, I don't know, because if I had a guess based on what my preconceived notion of what Satanism is and what these people are calling themselves, I would say that these are atheists calling themselves Satanists for shock value. But that would be my general guess as well. But I don't. Know. I don't know either. Yeah, we can get some Satanists on the show to find out. You should cut off. Man. Join us on the podcast. Did you know that you shouldn't cut off the bread crust because they're full of vitamins? The breast. No, the bread crust, which is actually, of course, oh, not crust. true. Yeah, I'm like depressed. <laughs> That's right. You shouldn't cut off the bread crust. It's full of vitamins. I have here. Bullshit. Bullshit. I have I here. I have some bullshit here. These are the truth about 12 health myths. And the first one is you shouldn't cut off your bread. It's full of vitamins, which, which doesn't I've make any heard. sense to me. I've never heard I have heard, heard that. that it'll make your hair curly. Really? The bread crust? You never had somebody tell you that? Eat the crusts of your bread, it'll make your hair curly? Mm, no. Well, your hair is curly, so nobody would have told you. Nobody would have told me that. Curly. Okay, all right. No, I, I've never heard this before. I've never heard that it has more vitamins. And it certainly doesn't make any sense to me that it would have yeah. more vitamins. In fact, it has more caramelized sugars. Uh, um, that, that I could tell you for sure, because as we get crust, but vitamins... It probably is yeah. less because it's been, you know, baked more Cut than the interns has. I, yes, just is caramelized sugar. <laughs> and we like caramelized sugar, so why cut off the crust? Exactly. I'm a big fan of caramelized sugar. All right. So if you go outside and your hair is wet, you'll catch cold. Have you heard this one before? I've heard this. I knew it was BS. I've heard this. This has been said to me many times. Yeah, I, I, you know, this is one that not necessarily with wet hair, but people are constantly trying to put jackets on kids. 
And there are times when kids want to run around and they leave their jackets off. And I'm a preschool teacher, so this is... I don't care. If they're running around, they're keeping themselves warm. We monitor how long we spend outside. I'm not worried about their jackets. But some teachers, that's like every five seconds, they're yelling at kids to zip their jackets, put their jackets back on. And it's the same sort of thing. You're going to catch a cold. No. Colds are caused by viruses. <laughs> Zip the jacket, put the bat, put the jacket back on. Make sure those sleeves are buckled in the back. That's right. <laughs> it's all the same. That's right. Hey, put that coat on, but you can go ahead and eat the snow. <laughs> exactly. Just avoid the yellow. All right. If you cross your eyes, they'll stay that way. Once again, I've heard this. Knew it was bull. Yeah, I don't think anybody actually believes some of this. No, stuff I don't think you... so. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think the well, the cold one, people do believe though. This actually, this crossing the eyes, they'll stay that way. That descends from a, a a very true thing though, which is that if you if you make that face, it will freeze that way. <laughs> I thought and somebody, that is true. Doesn't somebody have to <laughs> slap you on the back though while you're making the face? Exactly. There, yeah. There's a ritual that goes with it. Yeah. And if they're wearing a leather glove, it works even better. <laughs> and, well, and if they're wearing a leather glove and they hit you with a Bible, <laughs> and you happen to be, I don't know, taking an aspirin, that aspirin will immediately become a thousand times strong. That's why we dilute it when we the Bible. Have I gone too far? You've gone way far. Okay. And obscure also. Obscure. <laughs> well, the leather glove, the Bible, you know, shake it, beat it, home. No. Too yeah. obscure. Not for our audience. They know how homeopathy works. Yeah, we've even talked about it. We've talked about the value of homeopathy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's mainly amusement for us, but it is valuable. Hey, I'm pro-drinking as long as it's not homeop homeopathic drinking. <laughs> I'm anti-homeopathic drinking. You don't like to dilute what you're drinking, then, is what you're oh, saying. You, no exactly. way. All right. You should feed a cold and starve a... Yep. Yeah, I've heard this one. In fact, there was a commercial about this. Some, basically, and this is saying uh, this isn't true. If you can eat, you should eat. I think it's absolutely legitimate to starve a fever. The only problem is that it's difficult, in some cases, impossible to starve the fever without actually starving the child as well. <laughs> yeah. If only we could separate this. <laughs> exactly. Not well, that I'm saying that's a deal breaker, me, but hey. <laughs> Uh, gum will stay in your stomach for seven years. Have you heard this BS? Actually, what happens is it gets stuck in your colon. So that's why you've got to have the uh, the high colonic. <laughs> high colonic. To get all that undigested go. meat out of there, too. Yeah, that's right. You, get the, you can get the... Well, because it gets stuck on the undigested meat. The gum kind of <laughs> sticks to the undigested meat and it can't get out of there. Didn't that used to be a cologne back in the 70s? High colonic. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's high karate. Never mind. High karate. <laughs> oh, no. Now you get the Groner Award. We're passing it on. And we pass it back. We pass it back. <laughs> you get your award back. <laughs> An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's not true. But a handful of blueberries will because they're full of antioxidants and fiber. A garlic clove a day will keep everyone away, not really the doctor. <laughs> not just the doctor, huh? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, after I eat a couple of steaks, that'll keep the doctor away, too. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> if you lose, you lose 75% of your body heat through your head. 
I've never heard somebody say seventy five percent. That, that seems awfully high to me. I've heard everybody say that you lose most of your body heat or stuff like that. You do. You do lose heat through your head. Sure, ten percent. But that is because the head is the least often covered thing. No, exactly. Yeah, and that might be the case. Um, they're saying that this might be true of, of young babies whose head is huge. That that they lose the majority of their heat. In relation to their body. Yeah, in relation to their, yeah. (laughs) You know what, just ruin it for all of us. The head is the kind of the most important thing, though, to keep warm for the body. So I could see how if you are cooling off, if you're cooling off, your body is going to be working to keep the head warm. Yeah. Your body just works to keep your body warm, kind of. Yeah, but you go out without your head, and and if you you freeze your head, you're not going to be doing much good for anybody. All right. To get rid of the hiccups, you have to startle someone. I have startled many people, and it has never stopped me from hiccup. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, this one is. <laughs> you know what? I have had you know, like if you if you like take a shot of white wine vinegar, it seems to work for a little while, but the hiccups will come back. But I've tried doing that. I've I've just never gotten hiccups a lot. I might hiccup once occasionally, but I've never had the hiccups where I hiccup and then hiccup and then hiccup for any length of time. I don't remember even as a child ever having an issue with that. I think some people just must be more susceptible for some reason. All right. Eating fish makes you smarter. This appears to be true for kids ages up to three or four. That uh, the, um, see, the DHA... Yeah, but they're some of the least likely to be eaten Exactly. Fish. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so it's true. Up I to a think point. I think eating eating fish makes you smarter under certain circumstances. Okay, but they say you can get it, it makes you smarter if it is tuna fish and if it's not the dolphin safe tuna. Fish. Oh. If you don't want, if you were in the same room as me, I'd throw a shoe at you. And if I were in the same room with you, I would deserve it. <laughs> So it says if you don't if you don't want to eat fish, you can try avocados, walnuts, or canola canola oil. So once again, eat a variety of food, and you'll be healthy and smart. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing how eating on a regular basis, you know, helps you grow. And I if think you're this, growing I think this in a healthy is saying way, that you should you only feed a child till the age till their age of three or four avocado, walnuts, canola oil, and fish. I think that's what it's saying. Yeah, but Not if if you're actually trying to catch them, the fish are a lot easier to figure out good consistent bait for than avocado and walnuts are. That's true. I, you don't catch a lot of those. And fishing. you know where do you go? Where do you go fishing for canolas anyway? That's an excellent question. <laughs> you shouldn't swim for an hour after. You- I always heard this. I never quite understood why that was supposed to be the case. Um, but it's bogus. Yep. So well, it says that you have less energy, but you're not going to get a cramp and die. No, that was all. Yeah, you'll get a cramp. You'll get a cramp. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would I get a cramp? Yeah, it's amazing how our body generally, you know, if you're a healthy person, you have enough blood for your body to function well, even if you've eaten recently. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Every child needs a daily vitamin. Beep. That is incorrect, sir. So here, this comes back once again. Eat a variety of food. Um, there are certain things that that probably should supplement. They say vitamin D is one of those things that uh, that is good to supplement. Um, but for, for solely breastfed children, right? For during sol- their yeah. first year of life. Yeah, but you know, I, I I don't know. We're supplementing vitamin D for everybody at this point. Cons- you know, that's just one of the things that we're finding that, that people probably need a little bit more of is vitamin D. All right. Because of sunscreen and not going outside. 
I I think that's a big portion of it. Yeah, yeah. We, we need I was about to say that now that now that we have gone from the culture that everybody has to have a good healthy tan to the point where they look leathery to the culture where you can't go out no matter what and you can't spend any time in the sun or you'll get skin cancer and die. I think that yeah, we are since we swung to the opposite end, we'll be seeing less we'll we'll need vitamin E more. Vitamin D. 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 I knew it. <laughs> the audience knew it. All right. Yeah. You know what? I wear sunscreen because I don't like to be sunburned. So Especially here in Colorado. Yeah. All right. You know, I never got burned my entire life before moving to Colorado. Yeah, and did. I it didn't quite click. I got burnt for the first time when I was here in Colorado. And somebody, everybody was like, oh, have you put on sunscreen? And I was sort of like, really? Sunscreen? Why? And then I'm lobster pink. <laughs> All right. It's terrible. Warm milk will help you fall asleep. And apparently this is true if you drink several gallons of milk. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be warm, but, you, but you're going to have to drink a lot of milk. And the problem with this is that if you drink a gallon of milk, you're going to have to pee. <laughs> so even if you fall asleep, you're going to wake up. Right. So they say well, that, is, that is true of cow's milk. Cow's milk contains small amounts of tryptophan. Right. However... Turkey milk contains <laughs> a lot of tryptophan. Just um, don't drink it raw. Matt, in fact, in I fact, think if you have a cows only who is also a mammal, you're wasting your time in your current job. <laughs> in fact, cows get the tryptophan by eating turkeys. Oh, I that was scientifically nonsensical. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so there is tryptophan in you milk. You know, I but... do think though. I, I wonder if a part of the charm of the glass of warm milk—they're talking about it having a placebo effect—but having a having a belly full of warm liquid does tend to have a relaxing effect. Soup will do that. Soup makes you feel much more satisfied in some cases than than a more a higher quantity of milk <laughs> no i was gonna say a higher quantity of solid food mm. Mm. yeah i mean and here's the thing about you know like turkey has to fan in it but once again you have to eat a couple of turkeys for it to affect you it's just not that much all right well that was fun that sounds like my last thanksgiving <laughs> how many turkeys i stopped counting three oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, all right terrible okay terrible. so what is this okay follow-up Where's the, where's the original article, Matt? Uh, the original article was one we did right, several okay, weeks ago. Right. So this is the, about the experts are right. wrong. Okay. So this is the follow up to that article because I because I, I found a little bit, I found a this. different article about the same individual. Yes. Right. And I think that okay. It, once again, it, it's interesting. And I, and I actually um I I, I uh, I'm gonna buy his book. And uh, so by the next time we podcast, I will have read it. And uh, I, it's interesting. I don't go go ahead. Well, I, I just I caught this and I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at it again. Um, take a look at what this what this one said, and it's it's pretty much the same type of thing. I, what caught my attention though is he a statement: "There's a one in twelve chance that a doctor's diagnosis will be so wrong that it causes the patient significant harm." You know that that's a huge statistic. Where the heck does that come from? That's a good question, and it's not supported in the article. Maybe it's supported um, in the book. It's it may be supported in the book, and I would hope that it is. I would not hope that it's true necessarily, but I would hope that he offers support for his statistics in the You know what? Here's the thing is that, okay, your doctor's not always going to be right. But, okay, if 1 in 12 are your chances, 
Imagine, you know, with alternative medicine, of, it's... One in 12 of being caused serious harm by right. a wrong diagnosis. Well, you know, that's, I don't know. It's even, it's even worse. Let's it, you make know. sure we've got the, the statistic right. Okay. So it's even worse, though, with faith healing and homeopathy. You're far, yeah. far more likely to get hurt. Very true. So at least let's go to somebody who, who and, and he's saying that, that a lot of what the doctors are prescribing isn't evidence-based, well, which is interesting because um, Rich Orman, uh, when he, he's, uh, he's had a couple of incidents where he's <laughs> had to go to the hospital recently, and he asked the doctor if, uh, if what he was, uh, um, if his, uh, if what he was doing was evidence-based, his treatment, if he asked him if his treatments were evidence-based. So, I mean, I, and so I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to ask your doctor, is this evidence-based? I mean, your doctor should be able to back up what they're saying. I mean, we do want to go to experts, but I think his point is we don't need to follow blindly. And that's really what no. the point that he's trying to get across here is don't we, we it's OK to ask questions of the experts and we shouldn't follow them just because they're experts. Um, but on the other hand, he he he's he admits that we need experts. We do. I mean, we, we can't we can't continue on without these experts. No, so, he's just saying when it all comes down to it, he's just saying that listen to what the experts say, but don't think that the expert is knows don't everything. Think the expert is, fall, is infallible. Right now, exactly. th now the interesting statistic I found in here because it's higher than I thought it was. He says that um, um, it's about medical journal. What what does he say that I thought he did he say ninety percent of articles published in medical journal. Let me get down Where to is it that here. Um, anyway, I know I, I've heard before that like seventy-five percent of any, or fifty to seventy-five percent of everything published in a medical journal is later found to be wrong, and that that doesn't really surprise me that much because when you're looking at somebody doing new research and and you know publishing what they found you know if it's if it's the first time that it's being done there's a large chance for error and when somebody else redoes it or looks at their research they're going to find it and maybe find errors in the previous research or find that they were wrong and and you know but the research is still valid because it's, it's a moving point for somebody else to do research or for somebody else to continue to do research so yeah so we can't take a medical journal and go oh look hey look what we found and he says in here that it's important to you know that i mean everybody wants to talk about the latest and greatest stuff that you know is being published and and the latest and greatest science is coming out and certainly we like to talk about that because it's so interesting um yeah. is a lot of it but you're be... always talking about making sure that anything that we find that is <clears throat> new science is also peer-reviewed right and but they're saying even after the peer review process it can be found to be wrong and once again i'm Absolutely. not surprised and he's saying that you've got to look back at the at you know the research that's been, you know the findings that have been going on for a long and so it's basically it's looking for trends you know look at looking to say hey look there are there are 50 articles out there in medical journal that that show us this particular stick or this trend that you know penicillin kills bacteria or, you know, or is good for viral infection you know and we know this because we have all these studies ahead not just this one new one and so and i think that's important for a thing for people to remember that there's a lot of really cool science going but it has to be done over and over and over again for sure that we have it right we can't take one article and say oh this is how it is Science is just a jumping off. Well, it's, science is, is it's a method, and when it's done right, it works. But it's not quick. It's, it takes time. A few hundred years ago, we believed that the Earth was the center of the entire universe and that the planets in the solar system revolved around it. We believed that the Earth was flat. Right. Now we know that's not the case. 
We believe that everything that smelled bad is a disease. Right. That's true. We believe that disease came from smells. Right. And we found it that that's not true either. A few hundred years from now, we'll discover that the Earth actually is the center of the universe and that everything revolves around it. (laughs) 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 Mm, I'm voting against that one. I'm not (laughs) betting there. (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, I put this article, this next article in here, and I have not read through it. Oh, Shame on you. I know. Mac, did you read this? Uh, the, the the psychic scammer, no, I have not yet. Okay. <clears throat> We're going to, James Randi put this on Facebook, but I think. And I think it's just good to say, you know, another psychic scammer was sentenced to prison. Yes, and the article now let's is. Now move on to someone else. Yeah. Well, now, hold on a second. The reason that this particular psychic scammer was sentenced to prison, though, was because. First of all, she was already serving 18 months probation for swindling a woman out of nearly $300,000. So this lady isn't, she's she's posing as a She violated probation that she was already on, which is why she was sent to prison. All right. Well, you know, it sounds to me like this is an issue of this. This is a, a scammer posing as a psychic. This isn't like going and getting your psychic reading, which may or may not be, you know, um, a good well, this thing. Is a, this is a clear case of this isn't somebody who just, you know, reads your palm for you and tells you something harmless. This is somebody who very, very clearly did irreparable financial harm to people. Well, she also has to repay her victim. Right. Yeah. So she was a con artist. So, it's, so she's got to serve out a prison sentence, then she'll have to serve eight years in, on probation and pay back the remaining 100000 that she stole. 100000 right. right. So Yeah, so, and I don't know, they, not all psychics are con artists. No. So, but this particular person, a con artist. You know, it's not like they're faith healers. So, right. You know, being forced to face criminal charges. So, once again, the followers of Christ Church are, um, are in court again. And this time... You know, these things, this, when we talk about what the harm is, this is the harm in this stuff. This right here. This couple, and, um, had, um, you know, they were pregnant, having a child, and they're a member of the Christian, Christian, or followers of the Christian, followers of Christian, or Christ Church. Followers of Christ Church. Followers of Christ Church, which we've talked about many times before. Um, they had a baby, um, prematurely. The baby came prematurely. Nobody was there. Um, nobody with medical training was there to assist in this uh, in this birth, and so they end up, um, you know, with this premature child who dies of pneumonia, of staph pneumonia, and also and underdeveloped uh, lungs. And underdeveloped lungs. So, th- I mean, that's th- that's a real big issue. You've got a premature child born with underdeveloped lungs, and there was no there was no medical. No medical intervention whatsoever. Right. So, of course, they're being charged with manslaughter, and they're pleading not guilty. This, I mean, the, all, all every story that we that we've had here has been incredibly tragic. From from these, I mean, we we, I mean, from the standpoint of faith healing, well, well, yeah, it, it, with faith healing, either it doesn't do any harm or it does incredible. And the ones we hear about are the ones that do incredible harm. But when is it not really doing harm? When I have a cold. Well, I'll, you, next time you get a cold, I'll faith heal on you, and I predict you'll probably be feeling better in three or four days. Yeah, right. If, well, if you treat a cold, it'll last about a week. If you don't, it'll last seven days. But if you get a fever, I'm going to faith heal you and starve it. Oh, well, that's good. Just starve the fever, though. So, I mean, the, here, I mean, the DEA, 
of this of this town tried to reach out to these and say, listen, we've uh, got to fix this. DA. The, oh, I'm not, sorry, the DA, not, not the DEA. DEA. I don't they're think right. the Drug Enforcement Agency No, no, they're, they're not using any drugs. Yeah, I, I'm not thinking that would be yeah. Yeah, so the, probably not the DEA. Yeah, okay, the DA. <laughs> the DA has reached out to these people to try, and, to try and correct this situation, and of course they'll have nothing to do with it. No. And so at, at some point we, we've got to – they've all got to be – something has to be done. And in this particular, you know, little cult, it has to be investigated. And more of these people are going to have to get locked up. But I don't think that – I think you can lock them all up, and it's not going to change their mind. And the DA said, listen, we have to come to, to a, an agreement about when these people, you know, get medical treatment. In this particular case, they should have been in the hospital when they had that baby. It was yeah. irresponsible of them for, the, for them not to go there when they knew that their child was premature. How can they not well, have known? you've also got to wonder if they even got prenatal care, and you'd have to assume not. Yeah, so I, I... Which could be a contributing factor to the child being born premature. They're not going to put me on the jury, though. You know, I you could either... <laughs> you could either, you, you know, you put them all in jail, it's not going to do any good. On the other hand, you let Darwin sort them all out, then the problem should correct itself in no time. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I'm sorry, that was particularly ugly of me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's it's frustrating. I find it incredibly frustrating that you know that these people that that at some point they don't just say we got to go to the hospital. Yes, but to it, it, you got to look at it from their standpoint also. As sad as that standpoint is, they're saying if I go to the hospital, that means I don't have a faith in God. Okay. I don't have any faith in what God is bringing to me. So therefore, I don't I don't deserve to. Is I don't an, deserve to have that anyway. Is an optometrist a doctor? <laughs> should, no, they need, just think everything's going to turn out all If right. you need glasses, <laughs> should you go to a faith healer? This woman has glasses, but yet she won't go to a hospital to have her child. She she clearly uh, felt the optometrist was okay. glasses from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So it's okay for her to go to the doctor, but not for her child. You make a very, very good point, and that's a that's a really good catch. Well, I, I I was reading the comment, and that was one of the things that somebody brought up that this woman was wearing glass prescription glasses. So Mrs. Hickman is a criminal. I have to agree, but they're not going to put me on the jury either. <laughs> not if they hear this podcast. <laughs> well, there's a very good reason why they're not going to put us on the. We don't live in Oregon. Live in Oregon. <laughs> that's probably the main reason, right there. Yeah. Nah, they wouldn't put us on the jury anyway, because we'd get there and they'd go, oh, oh, look, this guy does a podcast. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look, they already don't like us. Look at that. Ow. <laughs> but, 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 but. All right. Let's move on to um to a math lesson. Let's skip the rabbi. I don't care about the rabbi. All right. I'm okay with that. All right. I've had enough of religion. Let's move on. Uh, this was an op-ed piece from the New York Times, uh, August 20th, uh, 19th, and it's called Math Lessons for Locavores, and so it's talking about, you know, how people use kind of fuzzy logic to justify their buying locally because it's better for the environment. And um, after I put this in as one of our articles, you said one of your podcasts that you listened to, I don't remember which one. Skeptoid with Skeptoid. Brian Dunning. Okay, so they went off on a, a, a rant about people not justifying locavore attitudes as being better for the environment. So okay. I'm sure – go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, he didn't go off on a rant. 
I mean, he, he was he was very meticulous about the way that he went through it. And one of the things that so one of the, one of the big things that he was addressing was that it that it um, that that you'll have a lower carbon footprint because there's not as much driving going on. And he used as an anecdote um, as a, a place where he used to go and buy food, and it was you know, and they tried to bring in local stuff. And but and so he thought, oh well, you know, it must be better. But he talked to him about it. He found out that well, they ended up doing a lot more drive because they would go here to get this, and here to get that, and here to get this. So they would try and you know do do as little driving as possible, as many things and trip as possible. And they found that that wasn't working. So they ended up bringing everything to a warehouse. And so now they're shipping everything to a warehouse, and they go and they bring it to the warehouse back in. And what and the, and the net result was that it probably cost more to buy locally than it did to, to buy from you know in large bulk from from another distributor. And another thing that they were talking about, um, he was saying that in Spain, tomatoes grow very well. And in the UK... United Kingdom, yeah, right. In the United Kingdom, that to grow tomatoes, they have to um, a heat... Hot houses. A hot house. And they have to eat the hot house and everything. So um, that basically, it, what, six times expensive to, to grow them locally than it was to ship them in Spain. Yeah. So buying stuff locally is not going to lower your carbon footprint. In fact, may increase... But one of the things that he did say is that that it's that's not necessarily if you're gonna there are good reasons to buy local. He wasn't saying that there wasn't. He you know going to the farm. I like going to the farmers market. It's a lot of fun. And that was one of the things that he said. You know that that that, that they still like to go to the farmers market and buy stuff. But if you're gonna do it, don't what he said greenwash it. Yeah, don't 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 try to make it into something it's not. Say that you're going to the farmers market because. You go to the farmer's market to support local stuff, not because you're trying to be greener, have a smaller carbon footprint, because you're not necessarily doing it. Right. And I think that a lot of times it probably is going to taste better because it was picked fresher. And I think that's the big thing. I don't care if it's organically grown or not. The thing that is going to make the stuff, the produce, taste better is that if it was picked when it was right. And that's difficult to do if you've got to ship stuff. And so you may, I still think you may be more likely to get a little bit better tasting product, but you're going to spend more to that. And it's probably worth it in a lot of cases. So there are good reasons to do it. So go ahead and buy locally and feel good about buying locally, but don't kid yourself into thinking that it, that you're saving money or that it, it's a lower carbon one of the things that I wanted to bring up in this is that um, years ago, I read a book called Confessions of an Urban Homesteader, and this woman is a dietitian. It's, it's sort of a memoir. It talks about her husband and her, and she lived in upstate New York, and one day in a classroom setting, she's a dietitian, um, she was talking about, you know, it would be better to eat things that grew locally because you're shipping things across the world. So they said, well, yeah, but what can you grow in upstate New York? And so she said, well, that's a good question. And so she talks about how she went through this process of finding things that grew for her in the area that she lived in. And so for, you know, 20 or more years, she lived completely off of what she could grow on her however many acres of land that she had. Um, and things that she bought were things like milk and meat because she didn't keep any animals. But everything else, she grew herself pretty much. And that sometimes... You don't know what can grow locally where you are because you think, oh, peaches can only grow in certain climates. And, you know, here in Colorado, we're not likely to be growing oranges, but there's a, there is a variety of things that can grow here where we are that if you are focused on only growing mass amounts of one thing, you kind of lose out on that, that biodiversity and seeing what actually works in the area that you live in. Okay. My parents had a plum tree that produced fruit every year in their backyard 
Exactly. And well, you, I don't know how many people go, oh, Colorado's probably a great place to grow plums. <laughs> well, um, yeah, certainly it's a good place to grow peaches. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yes, it is. Out in, uh, you, you can, Grand you can grow apple trees. We're famous for a type of melon, which you think what you think is a cantaloupe. Okay, but and that's and that's fine. And and once again, all those things are 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 fine, you know. But here's you're talking the thing. about the Rocky Ford one, right? I think that's the one. Yeah. What kind yeah. of melon that's, is that? That's actually growing off of. Um, that's growing off of a, off of an old weapons plant, Rocky Flats. So. But is it a cantaloupe or is it some sort of other melon? Terrible. That was our. I, it's, we don't care where it was grown. We were just worried about what kind of melon it was. Okay. Yeah. I'm ignoring his bad jokes. Okay, okay. <laughs> Actually, I don't think that's a bad joke. It is down. It is, they are from down close to Rocky Flats. They're that close to us? Uh-huh. Hmm. I thought they were further out. I, I, I didn't case. Anyway, those are, once again, good reasons, right? But it's gonna. Yeah. But if I want to go and get that produce, it's going to cost me quite a bit of gas. And if 10 people are going to do that, well, that that's far less efficient than one truck bringing all that stuff to me or, or to right. someplace where we can all go get it you know, closer. You're basically talking about one 18-wheeler and a, and a tank of diesel versus a whole bunch of tanks of regular gasoline from people going to get it in smaller vehicles. Right. So we just have to improve all the cars. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> they they got to be gasoline or uh, electric cars. And we just have to cars. give up on eating kiwi. Listen, I only go to the farm in my electric car. <laughs> Good well, for you. Yeah, and right, exactly. Good for the me. Real problem with, the real problem with, uh, with picking out those particular melons you were talking about is the dogs that have to hunt for <laughs> you know the melancholies. The melancholies. <laughs> uh, here's the other thing. That though. was a bad joke. That we, was. We, I think we should. Uh, I'll mention here that Slate.com has a great reoccurring segment called the Green Lantern, which people write in with their questions about. Well, what is the greener alternative in these situations? And they cover all sorts of questions. So if you're, if that's something you're concerned about or you think about. Slate's Green Lantern segment is a great resource for thinking about what your impact really is. Because I I personally think it's okay to think about what your impact on things is. Just don't obsess over it. Okay. And, and that makes sense. You know, here's the thing is that I like to grow tomatoes. I think they taste good out of my garden. I, I don't, I have to grow a hybrid tomato. You know, the classic Brandywine tomato grows terribly in Colorado. So I, you know, so I choose the early girls and the better boys. But I don't for a second think that they're cheaper than going to the store to get them. In fact, they're absolutely not. It costs me way more total cost to grow a tomato than it does for me to go buy one at the store. But you're growing it because you enjoy growing tomatoes in your garden. Exactly. And that's, that's all that it takes. Sure. And I think the hybrid tomatoes are actually a lot more efficient than the ones that run only on gasoline. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and quality of life issues are, are part of the thinking about being green because you don't want to be miserable eating bread, drinking water, but leave no carbon footprint whatsoever. <laughs> you know, the reality is we like to fly places. And we like to drive places, yeah. and we like to heat our homes and cool them in the summer. <laughs> when we're That's talking right. about food in any way, shape, or form, it's all quality of life. It's all about quality of life. I mean, we could live off Soylent Green, and we mm. could live off it, but, mm, yes, I know, yummy Soylent. We could live <laughs> off of it, but 
where's the joy in living off of it, living off of prepared food? Come on, you 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 got so close to the line, but but you just what, you just refused. People. No, 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 no. Crocodile Dundee. You can oh. eat it, but it tastes like shit. Yeah. Ah, oh, you can live off it, but it tastes like shit. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. What do you think? That all right, can we wrap this up now? I, I think we're done. No, I, think so. I do want to. I do want to throw one more thing out. Okay. Just just talking about the uh, talking back to the uh, what skeptics are here for. I I've mentioned before that I was diagnosed as diabetic, high blood pressure, anemic, just a whole range of stuff back in January this year, and it's changed my life around an awful lot. And what I have to do, and what I have to you know take take a handful of pills every morning to make sure that I die during the day, but. I wouldn't have found this stuff out had I not been talked into going and seeing an actual doctor who did actual tests. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. And my doctor, there may come a point where the doctor that I go see is not sufficiently skilled to take care of my condition because she's a general practitioner. She's not an endocrinologist. Her specialty is people who come in with minor illnesses. She's got her limits, but she's a good doctor. She does what she can for me. And so far, I haven't died. So... <laughs> oh, there you go. Always a good thing. <laughs> All right. Anything yep. else? Nope. nope. All right. I gauge how well my day is going by the fact that I haven't died. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, folks, catch and release archery. It's the coming wave. <laughs> also, join us for Archery Day at the Denver Zoo. All right. Remember, you can find our <laughs> phone number um, at uh, amateurskeptics.com. If you want to call and leave us a voicemail, you can always email us at WTF at amateurskeptics.com. Say goodnight. 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 Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptic, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. Music for this podcast was provided by OMG. For more information about OMG, go to their website at MySpace.com forward slash OMGHQ. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is released under a Creative Commons share alike no derivatives 3.0 license. We'd love to have you share our work with other people. Please do not edit or change the file.